Welcome to Honest Conversations, a podcast in its inaugural season talking about the things that go unsaid or unheard in and around the education system. This is a Yes Prep original. Last episode, I was with Mark DeBella, our CEO, talking about equity in a pandemic. Today, I'm here with our chief program officer and leading Latina, Nella Garcia Urban, the woman who I locked arms with over five years ago in this work. She is my former leader, a teammate, a CGer, Yes Prep Fit Clubber, shout out to all the other Fit Clubbers out there, and friend, and the one I can always count on for big hoops and side eye as needed. Hey girl, hey. <laughs> that is the best intro I have ever had in my entire career. <laughs> So what year is this at Yes? Okay, this is year 17. Put in work. Deep, deep, yes. (laughs) A lot of work. Yeah, what reflections are you bringing into this conversation today? I mean, would you say this is your hardest year at Yes? Uh, it's, It's definitely the most unexpected, but I think that it's also... I mean, yes, it's the most challenging. There's no way around it. I, was, I, I, I try to be as optimistic as possible, but it it has been the hardest. It's the least predictable. And so much of what we do in education is cyclical, time bound, and losing any sight of what's coming has been incredibly challenging for all of us, I think. Oh, absolutely. So people completely underestimate the journey in education. It's full of unexpected departures from the core business of educating students. It is a complex sociological equation that accounts for Maslow's and swinging for the fences. There are also a lot of false dichotomies. One is that the black and brown experience is so different. While we value what makes us different, I think we are more similar than is often acknowledged. And what about the Latinas who straddle and go unseen? Today, I want to dig into some of our sameness, whether battling colorism, succeeding as a working mom wife, or having an unrelenting work ethic in pursuit of excellence. Ingie is one of the teammates who deeply understands my existence, challenges, and successes, and is a sister in the work. Let's dig in. All right, I'm ready. So since we're going to go so deep today, like, let's start with some softballs, okay? Okay. Some warm-ups. Let's right. do some warm-ups. Exactly. Um, you know I believe in a good warm-up. I know you do too. Oh, yes. Yeah. We're too old for not warming up. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we're hurting right now. Um, so, book of the moment. I am currently reading um, The American Deportation Machines. It's the history of immigration. And I learned about it from a podcast, actually. And I'm currently about halfway through. Ooh. And is it a gut-wrencher? I mean, that title... Yeah, the title is gut wrenching. I would say that what it's it's incredibly aligned to our conversation today because the story actually starts with Chinese immigrants, and it reveals throughout American history how policy and the American cultural like nativism shaped the experience of many people of color and immigrants in this country. And it is deep. I'm the type of person like I want to learn as much history as I can to understand our present moment. And what this book has revealed more than anything is this this stuff isn't new. It's centuries old. And the more that we understand how policy has shaped the experience of so many communities of color over time, the more we can combat it. Yeah. 
I think that's huge. The policy piece, I think it's taken me a long time to understand that in our governance and in our policy is where the change lives. I mean, they've had us tickering around in the periphery where real things aren't really happening. We can be loud and seen. Mm -hmm. um, But in the meantime, things are changing underneath our feet. Mm -hmm. What's your show of the moment? I just finished the entire series of Ugly Betty. Okay. On Hulu. Okay. <laughs> um, I love America Ferreira. She's a uh, founder of the She Se Puede uh, organization, which is all about galvanizing Latinas to vote and become politically active. And for a lot of um, parts of her career, Ugly Betty was such a big part of that. And so I wanted to go back and watch it. Uh, I also finished the entire season of Girlfriends okay. over COVID. And I, I'm really interested in watching shows that we watched at different parts of our life and realizing one, like one, things that people on TV would never say anymore. Correct. <laughs> but also just what was important at that time and how actresses of color like made a name for themselves. I I think all of that's really fascinating. So that's what I just finished. So I need a new show. Okay. Was it everything you hoped it would be or were you disappointed when you revisited it? It totally was. I mean, Vanessa Williams as like the evil boss lady. I mean, it was so good. And I know a lot of people are like that. (laughs) Judging my show choices. But when I watch TV, because I read so deeply and I work so deeply, when I watch TV, I want to be like not... Thinking deeply. I'll save the thinking deeply for work and reading. (laughs) Very relatable. Very relatable. Take out or eat in? I would say eat in. Okay. Yeah. Cooking food or eating it? Oh, definitely eating. Okay. My my husband would be like, you better tell the truth on that one. Yeah, shout out to Pierre. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Breakfast or dinner? um, I do love breakfast. Our whole family loves breakfast. It's a big family tradition. Um, for my entire family to gather around the table for breakfast. So, Snow or beach? Oh, beach. No hesitation. No hesitation. I'm not about that cold front life. No. Okay. I have to hit you with a programmatic one. Multiple choice or essay? Oh, essay. Yeah. As hard as it is, I know everybody's like, the free response is so hard to create. I know it is, and it's hard to analyze, but student work is always and will forever be my favorite form of looking at what students know and can do. Hoodie or long sleeve tee? Hoodie. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I actually just wore two days ago the one that you had made for all of us where we had the female version. Yes. It was I, it was everything. Okay. <laughs> 2020 version coming soon. So let's dig into why we're here today and really get into the nitty gritty. This Latinx black thing, mm-hmm. right? I think you understand it better than anyone I know. Oh, thank you. Um, how do we get to this place where people believe we are so different? Um, I think that there are a number of aspects of Latinx culture that lend to the divisiveness with the Black community, colorism, colonialism, like all of the parts of our history that shape the way that people might think about themselves and others. Uh, colorism is incredibly harmful for our community and for the black community. Um, it causes people to self-doubt. It causes people to uh, question their self-worth. And so like when we have such deep and embedded issues, um, like those things are are preventing us from connecting with each other. 
I think that some aspects of living in this country have also forced different groups to compete for less than regard regardless. And when we see each other as an either or, as opposed to the collective and, it's causing a breakage in, in a potential connection, in bridging, in collaboration, in, in power, really. And, and I think that that's just really, really dangerous for, for a lot of reasons. That makes a lot of sense. So it's almost like we're each caught up in our own brokenness to a degree that I can't even essentially check for you because I'm still trying to figure out my own yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I don't think we can ignore that there are really harmful things that happen, um, like even in in our society today, like there there are Latinx people who use really harmful language and they hear harmful language in their communities and then they project that onto others, specifically to, to black people. And like, you can't ignore that that happens, but at the same time, we can't generalize that the entire community then has to engage in hate versus love. And, and I think that this is a hard thing that we have, we have to start teaching and accepting and exploring um, with our children and with ourselves in order to find unity. And how do you think it plays into it? I was having this conversation just the other day that a lot of black people cannot tie their origin back to a singular starting point. Um, and for a lot of brown people, they do have an opportunity to say, I am from here. And there's a lot of pride that comes with that. How does that play into where we ended up? I don't know. I don't, I, I would ask you that question. <laughs> I, I have a, a friend from my uh, most recent leadership cohort that, that actually talked about that very thing. He was like, Nella, you talk about who you are and where you've come from with such pride. Um, and that's not something I can participate in. And that's very hurtful. And I don't know, I haven't explored enough, like how that might lead to why we can't lock arms or bridge. But I know that that's just another like collective harm or collective trauma that we're suffering. And I feel like, it, it, you know, in the Latino community, it's so incredibly diverse. Everybody right now on TV, lots of media announcers are telling us something we know about ourselves, which is that we're not a monolith <laughs> um, given the, the election. And um, in some cases, people would rather forget their history because it is so harmful or um, reject certain aspects of their culture in order to assimilate. And so I don't think that answers your question, but I'd actually be interested in what you think about, about that. Yeah, it's been a struggle. I remember very distinctly being in elementary school and we had to do a project on where are you from? And I was so turned off because I could not name mm -hmm. where I was from or naming where I fr where I was from always took me back to slavery. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. who wants to have that conversation where you're the only black kid in your class? Mm -hmm. And so I think for me, transitioning into adulthood, it has been a struggle to talk about where I am from. Um, and I actually envy people who can tie it down. One of my very best friends who is a Latina, who is a black woman, talks about, you know, being from Panama mm -hmm. and the richness of her culture and things like that. But she also has the American experience. Um, 
So I think it is another element that sometimes draws us apart uh, in ways that we don't intend, but it's a a place of self-doubt. And I think anytime you have self-doubt, it draws you in rather than pulls you towards someone else. It's really interesting because I always think that everything has a strength and a shadow And right now you see so many people like calling on their ancestors or finding ancestral strength. But if there's a lack of understanding or knowledge about your ancestral heritage, like that can also be a source of pain and trauma, knowing that you your your ancestors have experienced such collective harm. Right, right. And so you touched on colorism a bit. So mm-hmm. let's let's go there. Mm-hmm. I think something both of our col- our cultures struggle with is colorism. Like it it destroys a lot of us, yes. unfortunately. Especially I mean, women and girls. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite books that comes to mind is The Bluest Eye by mm-hmm. Morrison, and how much her identity played into her own kind of self destruction. Why did melanin become so important? And how do we end up situated proximate to whiteness? Like not the race, but the color. Yeah. I I think that we can trace colorism to colonialization. But I also think that we can trace colorism to finding ways to separate ourselves and to constantly find better in a color. And there is like nothing so in my mind, like colorism irritates me and frustrates me. Like I literally am like getting goosebumps talking about it because it is so incredibly frustrating to me that like as a community, we could continue to like make judgments about beauty and worth based on the color of someone's skin, the texture of their hair their the way their nose look i mean like these things are just like they they have their own inherent beauty but at the same time we're putting all of this value on external features and we're not embracing everything about our culture and who we are as people that make us not only beautiful but like brilliant and um, and I and I love that that now there's like um, body positive movement and like, you know, we want to feature women, indigenous women, black women, um, women of color. But but like that is just so long overdue. Like women of color have been the majority in this planet for forever. Yeah. So it's just like maybe not forever. Some historians going to correct me, but for long, long as you and I have been around and, and it just like, it just burns me up that, that we continue to value this uh, construct over everything else that we have to contribute. It's just like another slap in the face, I think. Absolutely. I, I think it truly undermines the strength mm-hmm. across, like it becomes a focal point mm-hmm. um, instead of a detail. Mm-hmm. And really takes up all the space. There's no room to even dig into some of the other elements because we are so focused on that factor Mm -hmm. and how it transfers to our children. I mean, when you think about even your own daughter, as both of us are moms, how have you kind of worked with MJ um, to ensure that that's not a part of her story? For both of my children and MJ specifically, I have worked very hard to... I had to do a lot of self work and and I've talked and I made a pact with my husband. Like if you ever hear me saying or acting in a way that 
rejects um, who she truly is or tries to mold her into a certain body type or a certain look or a certain skin color. Like, you need to check me because like this is stuff that came before me. Right. Right. That was like put onto me that I had to accept in order to believe that I could be successful or accepted. And so it's going to take a lot of work for me to undo it. And I've, and I've really committed to, to doing that work. Um, but like, I will never tell my children, like, stay out of the sun, which is uh, which in the Latinx community is is very common. Like you want to keep your children who are children of the sun right. um, out of the sun so that they don't become darker. And so I let my children be out in the sun as much as possible, as long as, you know, they wear sunscreen. And so um, and, and to me, they just become more and more beautiful and more and more themselves. And um, so that's that's really important to me. Um, I think it's also important that um, my children see and my daughter sees beauty in other people, too. And that I we don't create a certain construct of beauty like you're only beautiful when your hair is is perfectly done, which was a hard thing for me to. Yes. Right. Yes. I, know you can really, I remember when I first met you, one of the things you told me was like, I saw how my daughter's hair was looking. I had to get home. Yeah. And I related to that so much because growing up, it was like people are going to treat you differently if your hair is not fixed and you know like latinas we love many do some don't but like like the slick back yes, like the sl- get those edges okay <laughs> and so like my daughter like someday she'll be like i'm going to practice or i'm going to school and i'm like whoa and i'm like is that how you would like to go you're clean okay all right we gotta do that today yes. so it's a struggle um what i would want for mj and what i would want for rowan too is like and for all young girls of color who have an incredible and unlimited potential of a future in front of them is that I I never ever want you to be in a position where you question that what you look like defines what you can contribute to this world. That's so spot on. And I think what really resonates is that identity work. When I found out that we were having a daughter, I was like, oh, Lord, um, that's where all the real work lives. And we talk about it a lot. Our boys, it's a different ball game, but our daughters, <laughs> yeah, um, it's work. It, it it's is work. serious work. And you realize how much you are their mirror. Mm-hmm. So whatever flaws you have not corrected will resurface <laughs> in all the worst ways. <laughs> like, I tell people when they find out they're having a girl I'm like, you be ready for an unfiltered, no leadership development, no church work, like no, nothing about what has like grown you into the woman you are today. Like they are coming at you raw and unfiltered, yes. uncut, ready to go. And so just be ready. And um, but it's a beautiful thing, too, because like I was talking with a soccer mom the other day and she has a little girl and this little girl is I mean, you could just tell she's got this amazing personality. She's so confident and i was talking with her about it and she's like i just don't want the world to change her and i was like so don't let it right don't let it change her and and it's hard to balance both things like how do we keep these like proud and you know unbossed and unbothered yeah. <laughs> Shirley Chisholm like you know uh, belief but also like hey like there are other people around you that are important too and, and other people should have an opportunity to share and speak like there, it's hard to balance those things but I think that we can have both. And we can help them grow into amazing leaders who care about other people, but they also don't have to give up a part of themselves in order to do that. 
Absolutely. And right now, the clapbacks are crucial. Okay. In <laughs> the, the household. Are so real. The household clapbacks. But they will need those later. So we got to leave think, in the I arsenal. I think people judge how my daughter claps back and how I like don't correct her as yeah. much as I possibly should. But I'm also like, I like that she can clap back. Like her mind is in a way, is already developed in a way where she knows I don't have to accept exactly um, what you said and how you said it. And yes, there sometimes I'll refrain for her like, what is another way you could have said that? (laughs) (laughs) And she'll like stop and she'll give up sometimes because the only way she knows how to say it is in the form of a clap line. But we're working on that. But it's my way of trying to be like, it is okay to question. Think about how many women and and girls, and and I'm a huge uh, supporter of Dressember, which is coming up, which is an organization where you raise money to uh, end human trafficking. Think about how many girls and and women have suffered at the hands of not standing up for themselves and not questioning. And and, and for many women didn't have a choice, right? And were oppressed and and violated and victimized in so many ways. But in in the small moments where you do have an opportunity to stand up for yourself, I want to be sure our daughters are like 110% positioned to do so. Absolutely. So I'm going to go back for a second before we go forward (laughs) because of the mention of sunscreen. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Okay. My kids spend a lot of time in the sun, but can we just give a shout out and slow clap to sunscreen and lotion? Okay. Because our people, we will be a hundred years old looking 35. Okay. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So I remember a conversation we had back when you were my manager and I said, I had spoken with a whole lot of people that knew us both. And they said either we'd be a force to be reckoned with or an utter train wreck of wills and swagger. We know how the story played out. These people? <laughs> I, I won't name names. Names, <laughs> details, dates, locations, please. So, I mean, we know how our yeah. story is played, right? Why do you think we work? Um, to use probably a phrase you would use, game respects game. Is that a good way to yeah. describe it? Well, I, mean, I think that developing trust, not to sound too cliche, is super important. But I, I think first and foremost... Before our personalities work, we're so aligned at what we're trying to do, which is we are trying to disrupt and create massive change for students of color. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is by working together. There is no organization that's going to find success when its leaders are trying to cannibalize each other. Right. And I think we see that because we we're competitive. We want to win. We want to win for our students and for our organization. I think that's first and foremost. Um, But other than that, I think taking the time to build trust, like get to know each other, um, understand the things that we care about, learn from each other. I mean, like just a couple of weeks ago, I call you and I'm like, I honestly don't know how to get out of my head mm-hmm. on this one issue. And you have perspective, expertise and knowledge that is going to make me a better leader. And 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 that's like a level of vulnerability I think a lot of people don't engage in. Um, you know, if we were talking about this 20 years ago, women leaders, there's actually a lot of literature on this. Like they thought that they had to like move um what's maneuver around each other or over each other in order because there was no room for everybody there wasn't enough room for everyone at the top and i think that we've just like rejected that and i think another thing i would say and i'd like to hear your thoughts on this too is that we recognize that people are watching us 
right? And there has not been a black woman leader that I've spoken to in this organization that has not invoked your name, <laughs> you know, named you as a role model, like a true role model, like someone who has literally like broken down so many barriers, not just in charters, but in districts. And, and they see you as, as a leader that, that we didn't have. And so if people are watching us and other women and people of color and just anyone in the organization are watching us, like, don't we owe it to them to show them what happens when you work with a teammate? Um, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I think you actually cleared the path for our relationship to be mm-hmm. what it is. I mean, this is a paraphrase, but essentially you said to me, uh, I can scoot over. There's more room on the throne. And like when you have someone who is like a queen in an organization say like, I can scoot over. There's still room for you. It changes how you interact. And I think it forever changed even my loyalty to you. You know what I mean? That as like, oh, okay, we can, let's do this. Then let's rack shop together. <laughs> either, I mean, it's kind of like what we talked about with colorism. Yeah. Either you end up destroying the other person or you are powerful beyond measure. And I think yeah. that's where we ended up. So I had one, there's one other thing I wanted to say on that. And I think that we have to reject that if someone else is shining, that that automatically darkens our yes. like, sh- like that shadows us. And, and I, I think that that's just so, so important. Like, and I want leaders and other people that are listening to this, like when your teammate is shining, like that is a reflection of that teammate. And you want to get in on supporting that teammate because they're, when it's your moment to shine, because if you're doing the work and you're putting in that effort, like there will be a moment for you to shine. You want that person supporting you in your moment of praise, recognition, winning. What would make that moment less uh, or what would undermine that moment for you? It would be someone thinking that it was about them. And so I see Carmen, I see you winning as like my win. I'm like, right. yes, <laughs> like get it, like make it happen, do it. And, and, and I think that we have to get outside of our own heads on that thing because we're so conditioned to think that if someone else is winning, it means that we're losing. And, and, and that's not true in the workplace. It's just, it, we've, we've got to break that barrier and it's going to take leaders in like ourselves to set the example, to put in the work and to grow others to, to operate in that way too. I think like that also wraps up why we believe so fiercely in school choice, right? It is not an or, it's not a district or a charter. There's yes. an and, There's right? A like third that's, way. Yeah, mm-hmm. the fundamental belief. And so I think it permeates kind of all of these conversations. We know that charters have mostly been built by white leaders mm-hmm. and it has just started to change in recent years. Why did you pick to work for a charter versus a district? And how do you think that has shaped you? I chose and continue to choose charter schools because I believe deeply in family's ability to choose. And I believe that choice should not be driven by their socioeconomic status, their race, their zip code. Just like I named the things I believe about why I despise colorism so much. It's like it's we're putting we're allowing for choice based on factors that in so many ways are designed for people not to have. And, and, and that angers me. I believe that choice for a family of the most precious investment that they can work towards, which is their child's education, they deserve that choice. And I don't believe this is an either or argument. I believe deeply that there is a third way. 
And I would hope that educators and leaders can find ways to embrace the and and stop arguing about whether or not a family deserves that choice and start focusing on how we provide access to all kids. Boom. I think it is continuing to debunk the or, right? Mm -hmm. We have another one, right? We live in a blue city (laughs) in a red state. Yep. And so given we still don't even know the outcome of our election, (laughs) yes, this is real life, 2020 (laughs) all the way. What's front of mind for you right now as a leader at Yes Prep? I think what is always front of mind for me and came to my edification, I would say early on as a college student, is that I have yet to see how any administration's policies do not find a way to harm people of color. And I'm hopeful for the future in in, in any case, but I'm skeptical based on what I know to be true of how policy decisions have impacted black community, have impacted, have impacted the black community, have impacted the immigrant community, have impacted many different communities of color. And I'm always looking at everything with a magnifying glass. So as we move into whatever administration um, might take the presidency, like I will be here to hold them accountable for the people that I feel like don't have a voice. And I won't forget what various administrations for decades have have enacted that have have hurt our children's chances, that have put us in a position as a community to lack access. That's kind of where I am right now. That's real. So we spent a lot of time talking about our parents and how Mm -hmm. our parents have shaped us. So uh, as I prepare for our conversation today, this quote stuck out to me because it made me think of you. And the quote says, as my mom always said growing up, when you do something, do it conganas. To her, that phrase extended to the way in which my siblings and I not only pursued our careers, but to how neatly we swept the floor. So whether you're early in your career and have to have a side hustle as a barista or have finally made your way to the corner office, do it all con ganas. And I con know ganas. con ganas. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and NGU, that comes from um, a content production, but it sounds like it came out of your mouth. <laughs> uh, and so I just want you to speak to that a little bit um, and how that thinking has shaped who you become. Thank you for that quote. Uh, It reminds me a lot of my grandmother, my dad, my mother. I mean, I come from an incredibly hardworking family. Um, If you ask our family to like write down our family values, like hard work um, would be at the top. And I think that comes from um, a, a couple of places, like one full of strength, but another working towards upending oppression, systems of oppression. You and I have talked a lot about like how hard we have to work is just the what we have to do in order to get to where we want to be at the decision making table. There wasn't really an option for us not to work as hard as we work and not to work in your case at the pace that you work. Carmen (laughs) is literally like the fastest individual I've ever met. And I, I think that we have to remember that, that we can value hard work, but it can also be a product of the the world that we live in. And, and I think that's what I'm going to pass on to my children. And actually, it's very hard 
sometimes to watch them live in so much privilege. And I worry, like, I've actually said to them, like, I, I'm confused about the place in this world for you if you are not a hard worker. <laughs> um, but that, that, that quote just reminds me of a lot of conversations in my family about whatever we do, we're going to do it to the absolute fullest that we can. There's a quote that uh, connects for me that is like to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. I believe that we're all given gifts. And when we use those in service of others to do anything less than that is to sacrifice what we've been given. Absolutely. It reminds me of the quote that I was raised with around, you're going to have to work twice as hard to go half as far. So I knew that I would have to like go four times as fast to make up the ground. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> yes. So, so we got to keep rolling. Um, the other quote that made me think of you um, comes from the president and CEO of the Hispanic Heritage Foundation. And he said, you are not lucky to be here. The world needs your perspective. They are lucky to have you. We are lucky to have you at Yes Prep. And I'm lucky to have you as a sister in the work, as part of my life, as a friend, as a teammate, as a leader in this work. Um, So this has been our second episode of Honest Conversations. As the first majority minority city in our country, it's time to set the example. Let's lead Houston forward. NGU, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me.